Welcome to my world, where my dad thinks of nothing but bluegrass, bluegrass, and bluegrass. Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the bluegrass and baseball connection. In one of my previous episodes, I made the statement that I'm not much of a sports fan. And that is true today, but when I was a kid, I really was, uh, I was a baseball fan when I was a kid. And I spent many hours listening to a little AM radio with a single earphone. And when I was a kid, I was living around Atlanta, and so I would listen to the Braves game on WSB. And I listened, this was probably in 67, 68, <clears throat> and 69. I really remember 1969, I was 10 years old. I mean, I knew all of the players, Hank Aaron, Rico Cardi. At that time, I could have told you everything about all the players. I was really a sports fan when I was 10 years old. Well, in 1969, the Braves had pretty much been terrible since they came to Atlanta. But in 1969, they kind of came alive. And they made it all the way into the playoffs. They did not win the pennant that year, if my memory serves me correctly. I think they were beaten uh, by the Mets. So they didn't, they didn't go to the World Series, but they almost did. And that was really exciting for me as a 10-year-old kid, you know, hiding under the covers with a, you know, with a little AM radio <clears throat> and an earphone. I even built, back in those days, I built a little crystal radio kit that I probably bought at Radio Shack or got for my birthday or something. And I didn't have to even have a battery for it. I had a wire strung over to the window screen and went outside and I wired it to the window screen and that was my antenna. Anyway, um, so I was a pretty big baseball fan at that time. I had no idea that it, you know, I'd not even heard of bluegrass at that point. But I knew about Hank Aaron I also remember that uh, at about that same time, it might have been 69, could have been 1970, that my my grandpa, Fred, Fred Schultz, he came down to visit us one time from Indiana. He lived in Rensselaer, Indiana. And my grandpa was a big, he was like me, he was a radio baseball fan. Every time we ever visited him, he would sit around, he had this big old Crosley tube type radio. It also had a turntable which folded out. Very cool thing. I think my brother has that that old radio now. But when we'd go there, you know, Grandpa would be he would be on the weekends. He would be camped out there, right next to that giant radio. And I always remember he. Uh, I, I remember him dipping skull that kind of winter green skull and he he always had a peach can <laughs> his little spittoon was a peach can 
And I remember watching him and listening to baseball games with him. You know, of course, he was listening to, uh, you know, the White Sox and the Cubs. But he came to visit us in Georgia. And my dad got to talking to him about baseball. And he revealed that he'd never actually been to a baseball game. So we all loaded up in the car and went to the Braves game. And it, it was the first time he'd ever seen a live baseball game. And and talking about listening to things on the radio versus seeing them live, when you, when you listen only, you, it forces your imagination to take over and you create what you see in your mind. And sometimes, you know, when you see something in person, it's sort of like if you're listening to me right now, you've got a picture of me and maybe you've not searched on the internet to see what I look like or something. So you've got a picture in your mind of who I am. And then once you do see it forevermore, you will think of the picture you saw. So you don't have to use your imagination anymore. And baseball is like that. I think music's like that in, in some ways, but let me not get too sidetracked. Anyway, we took grandpa to his first live baseball game. He was probably about 70 years old. It was the Braves versus the Cardinals. And I remember, you know, sitting there and by the seventh inning stretch, the score was still zero to zero. We had just seen, a, you know, everybody stepping up, flying out, striking out. There was nothing going on. It was the most boring game. Well, anyway, in the seventh inning stretch, I was sent to the hot dog stand. So I marched up to the top and was standing in the line to buy hot dogs and Cokes and stuff. And I'm standing in the line with some money my dad gave me. And I hear this tremendous cheer go up. Of course, I can't see the field from where I am. I just hear this cheer. And I'm in line. I didn't want to jump out of line because I was on this mission to get hot dogs. So anyway, when I come back to my seat with this tray of hot dogs and stuff, I sat down and I see the score is now one to nothing, Atlanta. Well, it turns out that Hank Aaron, while I was in the hot dog line, he hit a home run. Uh, nobody was on base, but the score became one to nothing, Braves. And I missed it. I didn't ever see Hank Aaron hit a home run. And I didn't go to many baseball games either. I don't think I ever saw Hank Aaron actually knock one out of the old Atlanta stadium. Anyway, I missed it. And that was the final score, one to nothing Braves. And uh, I, I think I think Grandpa was, he, he had a good time. It, it is cool to finally see something live. But I suspect he probably went back to, you know, on Saturday sitting on his couch or, you know, listening to the games again on his old Crosley radio. So anyway, why am I talking about baseball on a bluegrass music podcast? Well, I'm a big believer that if you can integrate things from different areas of life, that uh, it makes everything more interesting if you see how things overlap and how they're similar and make connections and analogies and things like this. It's, I think maybe that's my hobby. <clears throat> so anyway, basically to me, there are two 
connections between baseball and bluegrass. The first is the historic connection. And in a minute, I'll talk about some of those. There is actually a, a real historical record of a connection between Bill Monroe's music, bluegrass, and the game baseball. But then there's also a musical connection. And this gets into more, you know, philosophy and comparing how baseball is similar to playing music, which I'll get into that. But let's let's go to the history stuff first. In case you don't know this, Bill Monroe, of course, is the father of bluegrass music and was a band leader and, you know, and many other things. But he was also a baseball team manager. Back in the in the early days of the Bluegrass Boys, the the routine for for promoting you know your band, his methodology was a tent show. So, you know they they had a caravan of vehicles. They had their band members, all their instruments, their suitcase, and they carried a tent. And they, they carried other musicians with them so that when they rolled into town on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and they would drive all over the place to schoolhouses, just a field out beside the town, you know, they had an advance man that would set up all these gigs who would put up posters, you know, a week ahead of time, that kind of thing. So they operated a tent show. And the culmination of the tent show, of course, was a performance by Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. And the other performers that were traveling with them could be uh, Uncle Dave Macon, um, you know, people like that. It wouldn't necessarily be just Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Although sometimes Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys had little subgroups within them, like um, they had a... a a bluegrass gospel quartet, which they actually build on the poster by a different name. So the bluegrass boys would play, go off. The quartet would come on. I think it was called the bluegrass quartet. I may have that wrong. They would play, go back off. But it was, you know, sometimes it was the same people. And everybody in this, involved in this tent show, had to do things like set up the tent, you know, drive the stakes, uh, and so on. But as a part of this, to help promote the show, as a part of this, they also had a baseball team and had a baseball game in the afternoon prior to the show. So back in those days, each town or area, it was very common to have a town baseball team. And they would play other towns and they would play visiting teams and so forth. So as part of the promotion of this, when the Bill Monroe show was coming to town, you know, whoever was setting that up, the advance man, the agent, he would issue a challenge to the local team to play these hot shots from Nashville. And of course they think, well, you know, we're, we're tough old country boys and we know how to play baseball. So we can, we can beat those city slickers from Nashville, especially a bunch of musicians. This will be easy. And so it would drum up interest in the local area to come see the local boys take on 
the hot shots from Nashville in a baseball game. Now, maybe those local yokels didn't, they, maybe they knew they couldn't play music as good as Bill Monroe, but they thought surely they could whip them in a baseball game. So this would develop a lot of um, hype and interest in the, the tent show, which would culminate the evening. So here we are, uh, Bill and the boys, the whole entourage rolls into town. The tent starts going up. People see what's going on. Word gets around and the, t- the baseball game is scheduled midday. So, you know, the local area would field their gladiators to do battle against Bill Monroe and his team. So part of the, part of the thing was they didn't want to get beat because you know, it's kind of like the old Harlem Globetrotters thing. If you know about the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, they would play all these. Well, they actually had a team that traveled with them that they would beat. <laughs> but it was similar to that. So Bill Monroe not only selected people based upon their musical ability and their entertaining ability, but he also selected people based upon their baseball skills. And I think the prime example of that is the first banjo player who played banjo for the Bluegrass Boys was Dave Aikman. And Dave Aikman is known as String Beans. I think some people call him String Bean but Bill Monroe always called him string beans, plural. And a lot of people have, I think maybe even Bill said this, that he said he was a great first baseman. And that counted a lot when part of your show hype was being able to whip the local team. So you needed good players. And, you know, string beans... String Beans was later, um, I don't want to say pushed out, but when Earl Scruggs came along, Bill picked up Earl Scruggs as a banjo player. And I think in that case, he probably selected Earl for his musical abilities, not necessarily his baseball skills. I don't know what kind of a baseball player Earl was. I do know he was a baseball fan. But anyway, String Beans was a great first baseman. He also pitched and Bill Monroe pitched. So they would play this game. And then after the game, you know, during the game, they would promote the show and then people would buy tickets to the show. And that evening, everybody would come out and have a big time at the tent show, see the different acts and then culminating with Bill Monroe. And of course they're selling those 78 records. And, you know, have grocery sacks full of cash and they would pile into the car, tear everything down and off to the next town. And they did this, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on terrible roads. You know, there were no interstate highways back then and paved roads were something, you know, that didn't, you didn't have paved roads everywhere. Certainly not in the Southeast where they were running around. So there was a lot of fast uh, driving and gravel spinning and some car wrecks. If you, if you go back and read the histories, you'll, there were some pretty famous car wrecks that happened too, because they'd be, you know, trying to cover 
500 miles and they only have so many hours to do it and they're sleepy and you know it's pretty crazy scene if you had to have um nerves of steel and and a lot of um fortitude to be a member of bill monroe's band and he wasn't the only one doing this uh you know lots of musicians had this same type of operation going on jimmy martin you know did similar things but it was a lot of driving and then you had to get out and uh get up there and try to play and in bill's case you had to play the baseball game first so anyway eventually these tent shows went away and you know it became a little bit easier you could just be a musician you didn't also have to be a great baseball player now, um, if I'm not mistaken, the IBMA, International Bluegrass Music Association, I think they have hosted some kind of like uh, memorial baseball games at their convention, it, kind of to honor and, you know, pay homage to this Bill Monroe and baseball connection. I think they've played some, you know, celebrity baseball games. I'll, I'll look on and see if I can find a, a link to some of that, and I'll put it on the show notes page. Uh, one one funny story. I, there's a book um, called What I Know About What I Know. It's written by the banjo player, Butch Robbins. And Butch played for Bill Monroe, I think, on two separate, did two separate stints. And when I got into bluegrass, Butch was the banjo player at that time. So I knew, I knew who he was and I bought some of his albums and this kind of stuff. But there's a story in Butch's book, what I know about what I know. I love that title. It's just so Frank. Uh, anyway, there's a story that Butch tells in there about being at bean blossom and Bill Monroe decides that, you know, he needs to practice his pitching and, uh, you know, gives Butch the catcher's mitt. <laughs> and he's going to catch while, you know, Bill just tosses some warm-up pitches. And Monroe uh, beans him and nearly kills him. It's it's, it's an interesting story, but I, I guess the, uh, the, the hint is never offer to be the catcher for Bill Monroe. Now, there may have been other reasons why Bill, you know, threw that 90-mile-an-hour fastball at Butch. Uh, you know, they kind of had an adversarial relationship um, in certain ways. Uh, d this is all much better explained by Butch Robbins himself, and I recommend that you read his book. Uh, but I want to give this one little disclaimer and I do recommend the book. However, there are kind of two types of people in this world. There are some people who like to believe what they believe, and they don't want to hear anything that sort of messes up that paradigm that they have in their mind. Okay? They don't want to hear things that upset the preconceived notion that they have formed. And... The other side of that coin is there are some people that are open to hearing the truth, someone's version, as you know, as they recall, 
and they're open to hearing notions which could upset their belief system, you might say. Or one example of this is, let's say a, a person is a diehard gospel music fan, uh, and you know they have this assumption about the lifestyles and the behaviors and so on of the gospel music performers, and then if they were to run across a story of a gospel musician who who basically you know did drugs and ran around you know skirt chasing and all that kind of stuff, it, it, they don't want to hear that because they prefer that the they prefer that concept of reality that they had and they don't want that upset. Uh, I won't get into that story, but there, there is a story that goes along with that, which I, I might come around to one day. Anyway, I don't want to upset anybody's paradigms of reality. You know, the reality they've built in their head, but, and, and I say that, I, I recommend Butch Robbins' book, but only if you're willing to take that leap. You know, Butch mostly talks about, uh, you know, the history of his relationship with music and a lot of other things. And, and you know, he bears his soul in that, but, you know, some people, they don't want to hear that stuff. I like, I want to know the truth. And maybe you do too. But if, if you don't want to know some of the backstories and some of the things, then you might not want to read that book. Anyway, let's get off of that. But uh, I thought that was interesting that, you know, Bill Monroe dang near killed Butch Robbins <laughs> throwing a baseball. So let's talk about how is baseball like bluegrass, kind of in a more musical you know, in the way bluegrass operates and the way baseball operates. And I talked about this idea. I wrote, I used to have a newsletter called the Mando University News. And I would send it out on a monthly basis to the people that had bought my book, Mantled Masterclass. You know, it was kind of a way to promote, you know, some of the stuff I was selling. It was all mandolin related. And I eventually canned that and, uh, I have now recently started up a new version of the newsletter, which is more than just mandolin. It's, it's more instruments and things. I'll put a link on the show notes page. Just go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode, click that, and you know the routine. You'll be on the show notes page for this episode. I'm going to put a link to my old Mando University News newsletter. And to this article, because I wrote an article called Lessons from the Dog, and I spelled it D-A-W-G, but it's not really about Grisman. It has nothing to do with Grisman, which I say in the opening paragraph. It's really about dogs and my two dogs. Maybe sometimes I think about stuff too much. I, I used to have two dogs, Barbie and Ginger, and... I would go out in the backyard with them and throw a tennis ball around and play with the dogs. You know, I'd get home from work, let the dogs out and play catch. And I, I, I began to 
while they were running around the yard, you know, chasing the ball and stuff, I began to notice a difference between Barbie and Ginger. Multiple differences. They had different personalities. And so I sat down. I was thinking, what am I going to write for this issue of the newsletter? And I started thinking about playing with the dogs. And I, I wrote this article talking about how Ginger was quite different from Barbie in this game of toss of the tennis ball. I go through that whole thing and I begin to compare it to the different personalities in a bluegrass band or jam session. But I also thought of this baseball connection. So I here and there throughout the article, I talk about how baseball is similar to bluegrass. Anyway, you might enjoy that article. I'm not going to sit here and read it to you here because it would take a while. I'll just put a link. You can go over there and read let, uh, lessons from the dog little article. That article was also reprinted in a book that I did called the mandolin Songbook, which was published by watch and learn back. I don't know, six, seven years ago. And they needed, there were a couple of pages at the end that were blank because of the page layout. And they said, can you give me some filler to put in here? And I, I gave them a couple of those articles and that went into that book. I don't sell that book. Um, but it is available out there. Just look for the mandolin songbook published by watch and learn. I see it around in music stores sometimes and my son gets a kick out of that. I say, see that as my book. Anyway, that same article is in there, but I'll, I'll link to the, to the original version in my newsletter on the show notes page. So go there. And when this is over, if you're still bored, <laughs> which you'll probably be bored after listening to this, uh, but just remember that you can go read the entire article and hear the dog thing too. Anyway, so here are the basics as I see it, the, the musical similarities between baseball and bluegrass. And the first thing is that they are team sports. It's not like golf. I mean, yeah, you could be on a team playing golf, but basically if you look at professional golfers, it's one person and his individual skills uh, if you consider um let's let's take the sport of archery it's you versus the target you know it's not really a team sport they you know you can take archery and you can take golf and kind of form them into teams and so on but ultimately those are sort of individual sports but team sports are different Baseball is a team effort. Everybody has their part to do. Yes, there will be times for individual performance. In fact, throughout the game, wherever that ball goes, that's the time for that person to, you know, be very good individually. But you can't make a double play by yourself. Well, I suppose it has been done, but typically involves more than one player. It's a team sport. So the, the point of baseball is for the team to do well. And the second thing is the, the team is only good when the individuals do their part well when called upon by the motion of the ball. And sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with the ball. I think you get the analogy. I don't need to dig into it too deep here. But another similarity between baseball 
and bluegrass is that at times it's your turn to step up to the plate and it sort of becomes an individual thing. Yeah, the other players are still doing their part, but it's your time. The spotlight is on you. And you see that throughout the baseball game with the pitcher and the batter. Pitcher. He's trying to throw his best pitch. Batter trying to make his best hit. Get on base. Hit a home run. Whatever. Bunt. So the uh, the entire team sport is made up of individual moments of individual effort. And bluegrass is like that. You know, I sometimes compare the right fielder. It was well known, you know, if you ever played Little League, the worst fielder on the team would be in right field because most of the balls didn't go there. Maybe the kid wasn't too fast, couldn't get to the ball, couldn't throw good, so they stick him in right field. You know, your better players would be infielders, and some of your best would be, you know, pitcher, shortstop, first baseman, that kind of thing. Catcher, very important. So you've, you've got to have the right mix of players to make a good team. There, there were a lot of cases of great batters, you know, being kind of fair fielders. And so, you know, you might have a great batter who was stuck out there standing around with cobwebs growing on him out there in right field. But when he came to bat, he was a good batter. A, you know, a bluegrass man is kind of like this. You know, as the breaks, as the singing, you know, if you look at a bluegrass arrangement, there's a kickoff. Some instrument kicks it off. Well, he's on bat. And then the lead singer comes in and sings the first verse. He's on bat. And the other players are supporting him. You know, then comes the mandolin break. He's at bat. So you don't want to strike out when it's your turn. If you get on base, then it goes back to lead singer. And then the chorus. And then the fiddle break. And each person has their turn, but the, the end result that you're hoping for is that the song, the whole performance, came across well, and the team won. I think you get the, get the connections here. I, I, I'm not trying to explain everything here. You can read my article. It goes into some more details. But I, I mostly just want to kind of plant that thought in your mind and... When you're at your next band practice or band performance or jam session, think a little bit about how it does compare to the way baseball is played. And also when you're sitting home alone practicing, think about batting practice. Think about the batters, how many hours they have spent inside the batting cage, that machine chunking balls at them and they're just, you know, swinging. Think about that, because when you're at home practicing, that's what you're doing. But the point is to play that game. Okay, so just remember to go to the show notes page, and I'll have a link to Lessons from the Dog. Now I want to wrap this up with a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is, just very briefly here, 
is I've been doing some interviews. And uh, if you have anyone that, y- you know, you would like to ask a question to, or what I'm saying is if you have a suggestion for someone that you'd like me to interview, send me an email, go to bradleylaird.com, go up to the contacts right at the top, click contact, and you'll find my email link there. Send me your suggestions. And if you, if you have a person and you've got even some suggested topics or questions, one of the things I'm trying to do differently, because this podcast is for people who play and it doesn't matter whether you're a beginner, intermediate, advanced, I never really like those categories, but you're somewhere along the path as a player. Everybody, I hope, is trying to always be a, a little better. And so when I interview someone, yeah, we may talk about this and that, the, you know, things that aren't pertinent to you, but I, I always try to bring it back to questions that I think might help you. And, of course, I'm doing it for myself as well. So I'm trying to sort of be you in the interview, but I can do that better if you'll suggest, you know, people and questions. So that's, that's about interviews. What I'm, what I'm not doing is trying to do interviews. There are plenty of podcasts and radio shows and stuff that are interviewing some of the great players and, you know, you get their history and, you know, what they're currently doing and the new album coming out and we're going on tour and blah, blah, blah. And it tends to be more, you know, newsy, uh, which is interesting. And I love that stuff too, but it's more kind of fan oriented. And what I want to do, and I think the Mike Marshall interview was, you know, really demonstrated this well, is that I tried to peel back the onion a little bit and get down to, you know, how he started the, how did, you know, Hey Mike, how did you get to be so good? Because that might help us. So send me your suggestions for, interviews and questions. And while I'm at it, if you have a topic that you just want to hear me rap on, do that. And by the way, I'm getting some, and some of these things that you're hearing are as a result of people who have written in. So I want to say thanks to everyone who has written in with suggestions and encouragement. I've, I've gotten quite a few emails of just people saying, you know, Hey, I really like the show. Thanks for what you're doing and so on. And I do appreciate that because Right now, I'm sitting here recording this. My son is off at history camp this week, so I'm hoping to knock out two episodes this week while the house is kind of quiet. Last week, my wife was out of town for a week, and so it was me and Jackson 24-7, and there was just no way I could turn on a tape recorder and get anything accomplished. Uh, We did have a good week, though. Anyway, thank you to everyone who has written in. As I've said before, it's kind of lonely over here on this side of this podcast. And I also want to thank, you know, the supporters who have offered up a little bit of that folding green paper to help keep this show on the road, uh, either by buying one of my eBooks or videos, or even if they didn't need it, you know, because you can buy something and, you know, buy a, $8 video and I'll get the eight bucks and I'll of course pay the taxes and pay PayPal and et cetera. But it, a little bit of it will end up here where I can keep doing this. And of course there's also that supporter pack, which 
There's a link to that on every show notes page. If you just want to just flat out and send a little green this way really helps. Um, and again, I've said this before. One of these days I'm going to do an episode on the economics of bluegrass. I think it'll be a pretty humorous show. Oh, a technical detail that I want to talk about um, for people who might be thinking of purchasing one of my ebooks, videos, or even that supporter pack. And here it is, and it's a little problem that I've not been able to solve. Once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody who says, I would like to purchase your XYZ, but I don't have a PayPal account. And the basic problem is the, the service provider who handles the transaction and delivers you the, the file, they use PayPal for the transaction. And the little button says, buy now. Then you're transferred over to the PayHip site. And it, you know, it's got a little shopping cart and you can add things into it. And then it says, Go to PayPal. Well, some people don't have PayPal accounts and they see that go to PayPal and they think, oh, I can't buy this unless I have PayPal. But I, I want to tell you that that is not true. You don't have to have a PayPal account. If you click that button that says go to PayPal, you are presented with several options. One is you can pay using your funds from your PayPal account. That's the first thing that comes up. It says log into PayPal. But right down below that, there's another option that says pay with debit or credit. And if you'll click that, they'll take your, your card info and you can continue the purchase. You do not actually have to have a PayPal account. And I've several times uh, suggested to PayHip that they change that little button. It shouldn't say go to PayPal. It should say something like complete transaction. But I've had no luck trying to get them to change that. So I, I put little notices on the descriptions of all my products, but it's easy to miss that says, hey, you don't have to have a PayPal account. You know, the, the purchase is handled by PayPal, their system, but you, you don't absolutely have to have a PayPal account. So hopefully that makes that a little clearer in case you got two or two steps into the process and then saw that button and said, oh, well, I don't have PayPal and backed out of it. You can go ahead and use any credit card or debit card and you don't have to have a PayPal account. So that takes care of that. Uh, the, the last thing I want to say is the, well, I say this in ep every episode, help me spread the word about the show. Uh, if you will go over to iTunes, even if you listen on Podbean or you listen on my own site or Stitcher or whatever, if you'll hop over to iTunes and rate and review the show, that would be really cool. I do appreciate those five stars, and I, I also want reviews. I, you know, I want to I wanna see what you think of the show. But again, if you have suggestions directly to me about show topics and things like that, send me an email. Uh, you know, I might not notice your comment over there on iTunes, but other people will. So basically, I want to just say thanks for helping me spread the word. Uh, last thing is the outro music for this episode. 
I chose it because, A, I own the copyrights to it and I can play it as much as I want without having to pay anybody. It's a tune I wrote called Hardball. And I wrote the tune and then I was thinking about this Bill Monroe and baseball connection and I was looking for a title and I just called it Hardball because, as Butch Robbins would surely tell you, Bill played hardball. There was no softball with Bill Monroe. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Take care, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.